Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Happy Friday. It's been a wild week in the legislature. So much going on, so little time. Mara Carabello's in studio. Greg Hughes is at home because the state has told him that's where he must stay. We shouldn't laugh. Been... That's not funny. I'm sorry, Greg. Listen to Mara laugh. I'm it's sorry, a maniacal Greg. laugh she I'm has. Sorry. Yeah. You know, the, if, if I didn't already think the state was very heavy-handed telling me what to do constantly, Turns out that if you get this little virus, um, whether it be from a wet market, from a bat, or from a Wuhan lab, who knows where, uh, they want you to stay inside your house for 10 full days. Have you so, done so? Um, by now, you know I, Greg's got the Rona, guys. Sorry. Now, when are you out? Yeah. I, uh, my 10 days will be done on Saturday. Um, I did feel some slight symptoms. I would argue they felt like a chest cold, something. I, I You know, when I was in the legislature... Around President's Day, I would start to get a little sick, maybe a little hoarse in my voice. Um, it, it seemed to happen every year, so I didn't feel like it was anything different than that. But the once my body, exhaustion. yeah, yeah, whatever it is, but whatever it is, my body absolutely defeated this virus in less than two days, and it was like the virus was so angry that it didn't take a greater hold on me. A full day after I felt 100% fine, I lost my sense of taste and smell. It was like it was like. It just had to, it was its revenge as it was leaving my body. So I have been, uh, I have been in quarantine for 10 days. Uh, 10, 10 days will end tomorrow, Saturday. So I feel like we need to anyway. add a disclaimer at this point that they're listening to Greg Hughes after uh, on his, a second to last day of quarantine. You should take that into account as you listen. You've all had. Yeah, and, and by the way, <laughs> here's the secret. You know what everyone's been saying? Hydroxychloroquine, all this stuff. Let me tell you the secret to this whole thing. By people, Red, you mean doctors. <laughs> Red Bull. Red Bull. You feel tired? More Red Bull. Red Bull you gives you wings. You feel under the weather? Take more Red Bull. The Red Bull has been the silver bullet in this whole thing, just so you know. So Greg has worked through know. this with Red Bull. That makes my heart palpitate just thinking about it. But I'm glad you're okay. Uh, maybe some vitamin D. I don't know what else. But No, yeah, you know what? D3. I take it every day. I take it like a gummy. It tastes – well, when I used to be able to taste, I would tell you that it tastes great. But I've been taking that for a long time, uh, vitamin D3. I was told that it would help strengthen my, my immune system and – I, like I said, I, uh, I would not have absent losing my sense of taste and smell. I would have never dreamt that what I, what I had experienced was uh, COVID 13 or 19 because, well, mine was probably like COVID one. I don't know what it, it was, but it was a new iteration. I, yeah. A new iteration, but it wasn't, it wasn't severe at all. Thankfully, I know there's some luck involved in that too. Yeah. Well, welcome anyway. to the no smell club. I actually, today before going to work, I was super organized and I cut out some sweet potatoes and Brussels sprouts and I was roasting them. And normal people would set a timer to get them out of the oven, but I just sort of like when it smells good, take it out kind of thing. I forget I can't <laughs> the smell. Old days and I was getting ready smell. and showering, I, and all of a sudden I was like, yeah. ah! And I said a fairly inappropriate word, and my 15-year-old who's homeschooling right now heard it and checked on the oven. And I'm like, did not anyone smell these like on fire? 
So anyhow, I forget. <laughs> I, I can't smell. I, yeah. I, I don't they notice that I don't smell. Like no, smelling isn't something that I can tell that I notice that I'm, I'm, I'm lacking. But I, but I do find the ability not to taste food to be bizarre. It's like I might as well be eating cardboard. It has no taste whatsoever. So food has lost its meaning to me, which is liberating, by the way. I don't find that a negative. I think it makes me more powerful. Well, good food, luck with that because were, it hasn't stopped me from eating. <laughs> <laughs> there were cookies in my house. I never smelled them when they were made. And when I saw them, I'm like, eh. Who cares? You can't taste it. It's almost torturous to eat a cookie you can't taste. So yeah, it just tastes. I, funny I walked mouth. right by the plate. I didn't even stop. Boom. So there you go. Well, I'm glad you're you're healthy and well with us today. Uh, <laughs> I do want to mention really quickly. We don't talk to, about COVID numbers very much, but I've been excited to see the numbers going down. We have about 220 people. It seems like on a daily basis in the hospital. Still not great, but a drop from the five or 600 we were seeing. On average, we're seeing about 770, I believe. Um, positive tests a day. So we're trending in the right direction, but we've been trending that way for a long time and our deaths still stay high. So I'm hoping that changes soon. It's been making me nervous seeing that. I know. I feel like hopefully we get more vaccinations in the mix. We all keep wearing our masks, even though we're tired of it. We keep social distancing. We wait for spring weather. I mean, I feel like this is all such good news, but it is still contingent on us um, doing little things, not big things, little things. Don't I have, aren't I mask free now? Isn't that my reward for going through this? I never have to wear a mask now. (laughs) That's incorrect. I feel like it should be, but I I am. I'm cured now. I, 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 I came out the other side, so now I don't have to well, wear Well, the mask. good news is if it's like SARS and many other things, they actually, um, researchers say that 20 years after the fact that people still have the T3 cells and right. the antibodies in it. And I think just a few years ago, they did research on people who had the Spanish flu, literally people who were almost ready to die because they're 100 years right. old, and they still had mm-hmm. what it takes to fight it off. So I hope it is the case. So we'll see how that works yeah. out. And if we trust uh, the governor, which I would like to trust him on this, we're going to be celebrating mask-free on the 4th of July. I know. He was really sanguine. I mean, in fact, he was a little yeah. down on the feds. I, I would, I, I will say I would rather see my government be a little more conservative and then meet their expectations than give us permission. So you to want to be like Biden and say, we'll I give do out a, little a certain bit. amount of vaccines that oh, we are. Oh, and then I want to have him. Like <laughs> I want to have so him. <laughs> and then I want us to exceed those expectations. When we're all pleasantly surprised instead of right. really bummed. We didn't meet him. All right. So but hey, Utah, low. we're pacing well, right? We I mean, are. I, I'm optimistic. We're heading in the right direction. Um, By one, the way, last top, one more last thing on this. If you have a college uh, child, if you have a kid, it's a college kid. Yeah. Uh, I got that, one of those. Lives, lives at home or comes and visits you at home lives somewhere else understand this about college kids they don't socially distance it's not in their dna it is the window of their lives where social distancing is not computing they Craig don't understand is it. ending so, this segment by blaming his child oh, my daughter wow. do- my, my my daughter is the college kid super spreader that brat she came in here starts you know aerosoling the whole house apparently gave it to me i'm taking i'm wearing masks like a madman what am I supposed to do when my daughter comes home? So Hugger if you got lover. a college kid, mm-hmm. if you got a college kid, just, just watch them, watch them. Cause they're not, <laughs> they're kind of, they're too social. Those kids, they're way too social. Oh my gosh. So. To be young and fun again. <laughs> uh, I want to start with young and fun. Well, it's not really young and it's sort of not fun, but before we get to the serious bills, uh, Mara brought one up that she's not super stoked about. And I think most of us are on the same page of this. Greg, we'll ask you because you're not in the house. We haven't heard what you had to say. Do you love the uh, Pioneer plate? Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. I don't know what that bill you is don't? about. You don't. 
It's a yeah, plate it that looks like head. a pioneer wagon. A and license it looks like plate. you've sort of been like run over by the wagon. Oh, you mean like license yeah, plate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like a new plate. No, the license plate. I thought you were. It wouldn't be commemorative, I new, though. I thought the state I had new china. Yeah, that I think it was going to put into a curio cabinet or something. No, no, I didn't no. Know what you meant. This is a bill that would make it. So I think instead of choosing the Arches or Ski Utah plate, you could also have the Pioneer plate. And whoever did the artwork, I'm I'm really sorry because we're not trying to be rude, but it's like, what is that? I'll jump into. I know I'm going to be booed off the stage here. I feel like a, I feel like a schmuck saying it, but I'm sharing my feelings. Mm. I I was. I was the director of the Centennial Commission for uh, three years. I love the great state of Utah. I've visited. I've done whistle-stop trains. I've done um, wagon trains. I've visited all. Um, I've visited Fillmore, which is our state capital. I've spent a lot of time celebrating the heritage of Utah. I love July 24th. I love that we have the longest-standing parade. I love how proud we are of our heritage. But I say, as a proud Italian-American, I knew there was a butt a proud Italian-American, <laughs> not from Utah. I mean, come on, enough already. Let's look forward. Well, let's celebrate our diversity. But let's what if celebrate they put a new wife Utah. On each spoke of the wheel. Oh, no, wait like, a sort of Hold around. on a minute. Now it would be cool, and we could customize the wife's yeah. names. No, no, here's, here's, enough. We need to. We the, the pioneers. Let's just keep with our holiday. Enough, and that. And I, that's a. It's a. It's. It's not a cool plate. You're not driving. You're not improving the quality of your car. The look of your car by slapping that plate. No, on. Greg, Google I, it though. I can't believe you've been like seriously know, in lockdown if you it. haven't gonna, seen that. I know. It's it's what it's just what this house arrest has done to me. But I'll tell you what. Here's my here's my take on it. Just getting my head around it quick. Once we created the license plate with with old glory, the American flag with with and God we trust underneath it. Where do you go from there? There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to add. There's nothing to include. You, that is the greatest plate ever made for a license plate. Anything less than the, the American flag and, and God we trust, I don't even know why you'd want to put it on your car. In fact, when I look at license plates now, if it doesn't say in God we trust and have the American flag, I'm like, wow, look at that heathen who must hate God and doesn't even love America because they don't put the, the, the flag on their car. So there's nowhere to go after you see the latest plate, which was – I think Mike Maurer from the governor's office helped. This was his brainstorm or brainchild was the uh, In God We Trust. So I did like those. They I were, just, simple, but were simple. Yeah, I love them. I love them. That's on my car. I love it. I my don't know favorite why. plate. I'm sure both of you have it, right? I have the Ski Utah <laughs> plate, but my favorite plate of all time was my Florida plate. I was sad when I took it off because it just had like these cute little three oranges that were so happy in the corner. And I, I liked like that. It. That's a nice one. I, I, like, I like my home state, the green Colorado plate with the Rocky Mountains. Oh, that's back. a good one. That's too. a nice one. Yeah, simple yeah. though. Simple. Not somebody kind of man. Not a wagon. No, not a wagon. <laughs> All right, we got to talk about the serious business of the great state of Utah. So far, it seems to me that the budget talks have been fairly congenial. But the one thing that everyone's talking about right now is the transportation package uh, for construction: two point two six billion dollars. It is a lot of money, and when we're talking about bonding that much money when we are sitting on a pile of money ourselves, we have to think about, is this smart, is it not? Uh, Mara, we'll start with you on this one. We have to be thinking forward thinking. Is this the right time to be doing this? Okay, I'm going to throw down an unequivocal yes. So it's a big number, and they need to think about the number, but a couple things I think they're getting right. The composition is right between bonding and paying for. And then the other thing is conditions around the unique recession or the, the contraction in the economy that's um, that's spurred by COVID, it's a unique kind of economic crisis. And Utah has gone into the crisis um, strong and is going to come out strong. Those two conditions and now the conditions of um, the 
how cheap public money is right now. To yeah. It, it really makes a ton of bang for the buck on, on tax dollars. Now, I do think the legislature needs to keep an eye on their debt limit. They need to keep an eye on, and, and this has come up in the conversations about not over committing to debt in case you got to plan for a lean year, but even planning for a lean year to invest strongly, including a healthy bond market, I think is a really smart decision by our legislature. All right, Greg, are you ready to spend the $2.26 billion with a B? Yeah, you know what? I it's 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 a uh, it's large, it's historic probably in its size and scope. Uh, but look, let's look at the state. Let's look at the the demands on our state uh, in terms of our infrastructure, transportation, uh, water infrastructure. There's just so much that happens in a growing state. You want to be a growing state because if you want your economy to grow, uh, you want to have a young state. You want to have emerging workforce. Uh, you don't want to be a state that is shrinking in its population like many states are going through right now. Uh, but so you have the sky's the limit for the state of Utah when it's young, when it's growing in population. But it does. Uh, it is inherent that with those uh, with those benefits come the challenges of infrastructure. And we cannot you know, we got 29 counties and we have over 80 percent of our whole state's population lives in just four counties along in, in the Wasatch Front, the four counties, which is a valley which you can't sprawl forever. And so how does that, how, how do we manage that uh, short-term, mid-term, and long-term? This, uh, this, pa- this infrastructure package is a, an important part of it, but I will tell you that longer term than just this year's bill, uh, infrastructure bill, we have to see the rest of these counties in our state start to prosper, not see the numbers shrink. Rural Utah, every census, the, the rural counties shrink in terms of size of population. We're not going to sustain the kind of growth as a state that we're seeing and experiencing if we're just going to shoehorn it all that growth into just a mere four counties all the counties have to see that so the infrastructure investment ultimately needs to be seen uh in all the counties of our state giving everyone that chance so good bill good vision good uh, good work uh, as we so would we think hope, it's going to pass more then? to do yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're going to see a couple of projects that are being um, discussed still, but the preponderance aren't. And I will say what anchors this that makes uh, that I'm really pleased with is mass transit. And I think um, I, I agree with with Greg's long term vision of rural Utah. But right now, where our investment is needed is in mass transit along our dense corridors. It helps in two fronts. It makes for a strong economy because people can get to work without reliance on a car, which also helps our air quality. Yeah, I think it matters. And I don't think the great state of Utah has been very good in the past at planning for the future and transportation. And I think this is a chance to maybe get in and do it now before it's too late. I remember in, it was probably about 2000-ish, I built a new house and it seemed like the middle of nowhere at the time on the west side of Bangor Highway. No one had built out there very much yet. Uh, Daybreak didn't exist. I think it was in the works of being talked about as a future right. project. But I even remember at the time that Bangor was already too busy. There was too many cars. And they hadn't, I, I know people argue that they, they thought it through and they wanted to do mm-hmm. the interchanges. But I thought Bangor was, if you could hold it up on like a pedestal and say, this is what we did wrong. It seemed like we didn't plan for the growth that was going to happen out there. It's cost a lot of money and headaches trying to turn it into a sort of freeway, sort of highway, sort of stoplights. I think it's a mess. I agree. And what you're saying too, I agree with is those big projects, the big mass transit, the big corridors, they're the expensive ones. And I do see them spending in this bill for the future, which like you said, we sometimes take gaps in, in planning that, I, I, I will brag. I will brag for the state of Utah. However, that it, it was able to build 130 miles of fixed rail for commuter rail and, uh, and light rail, 
uh, inside of a decade, which had never been seen in the United States uh, in any state that much by way of 130 miles of that fixed rail infrastructure, which we had to grow into. We didn't need it. It wasn't like Boston's big dig where you're trying to dig out of a congestion failure. This was that was forward thinking. But even the what you're seeing in that bond right now, that's to double track uh, going, I think, going north, uh, the, the commuter rail. The commuter rail is so successful now that you need two tracks so that you're not stopped, you know, while you're sharing part of it with Union Pacific or whatever's going on. So the double tracking of commuter rail is is a sign of success that people are using uh, that as a mode for transportation, which takes more cars off the road for those of us that like to use our cars. Uh, we all are, are better served when more people use transit. So It is true. Anyway. And that's an example of what Utah's done right. I remember when I lived in Florida talking to the legislature there, they were flying to Utah to check out our rail system before they did it. So right. yeah. we've done some things right and done some things wrong. But I think right now maybe we can get ahead of the eight ball with this $2.26 billion. Remember what we used to talk in millions? Like I it was know. a big the, deal. Yeah, I know. Like I know. A million dollars. <laughs> Centennial <laughs> Highway Fund. I think it was $300 bucks, And we were like, wow. Centennial Highway, that, that's a 100-year project. Well, there. times are yeah. changing. You need more money to survive. Uh, one thing yeah. that did not survive is the transgender sports bill. So both of our transgender bills have died. I think this is probably a good thing. But is it dead forever, Mara? No, this conversation is going to keep going. It's really good that it's dead. It's really good that uh, qualified people will continue to talk about this issue and that the legislature will move on to other things. And Greg, you were not at the Capitol this week, I'm assuming, since you were in Rona no. prison. So you missed out on that. Uh, are you okay with this dying or do you want this brought back? Well, I think they were trying to get in front of an issue that I think if it, if it, if it comes up and you see uh, young men who identify as women uh, taking roster spots in high school sports, girls sports, um, I, I think if that day comes, uh, there will be a lot of people that will protest and have a big issue with it, and you can deal with it in real time. Then, if the bill, I think the bill was trying to to head head it off the path so that would not happen. I'll just say this: uh, parents care and students care about extracurricular activities, clubs, sports, things like that. Uh, the practical application of young men who'd like to participate in girls' sports in high school, uh, if and when we see that day arrive. And those roster spots are, are, are taken uh, with young men who identify as women. I think you're going to see communities uh, react to that, uh, not in a, in a positive way. I think there's going to be a lot of concerns and there's going to be some worry that girls uh, are uh, disadvantaged just by gender. I know we've talked about this issue a lot, like and I know we were going to move through this quickly, but I'm going to have to just call. That is quickly. So we're I'm done. Gonna, you just Greg, agree. If I'm you gonna, agree, we'll be done with this second. I'm going to call you done. out, even on your sort of hate-lingering language oh of goodness. boys who oh. want to be girls. I mean, really respect parents, respect kids, respect how people identify, and we can talk through this issue without you bringing the politics in. So if those young girls... If those young girls... I'm just given the technical thing. If a if, boy thinks he's a girl, identifies as a girl, that is not negative. I'm if, not saying that. If rude. those girls want to participate, again, my problem is you've got the wrong people trying to make this decision, and you have a lot of agencies who are filled with the, a lot of the right people who already have been um, working through this issue and have policies in place. This is the arrogance of the legislature. It's the monotheistic <laughs> arrogance that we have, and it's a message bill. And so. Yeah, if you really care about this issue, and I would I would say to the Morgan representative, why don't you go petition those organizations that are already dealing with this issue? 
Okay, this is another one that we've talked about, and so I want to be quick with this, but the Dixie State name change, we had students who drove all the way up here. They were trying to make sure the legislators heard their voices to, um, before they made any votes. It's headed back to the Senate. I don't know they've taken it up yet today. Tab, yeah. um, I was trying to keep tabs on that. But why, Greg, is this one so contentious? Can we just say that it's time to stick Dixie on the Pioneer license plate <laughs> and drive it out? Can we just be done yeah. and come up with a new awesome yeah. name? Like unless unless you know or... a person, unless you know someone whose name is Dixie, go make that go make that case to someone named Dixie that that name is just inherent with and synonymous with racism. I, I'll tell you this, it is a very emotional issue. And when you don't live in the St. George area and you don't live in Washington County, um, you know, we're just observers. We're watching people that feel that this is a an attack or a redefining redef of their tradition and their heritage, and uh, they are not prepared to uh, to cancel out uh, the things that have been part of their community for as long as anyone can remember, and frankly, generations. So they, there's a lot of emotion attached to that. I hear the other side where people are worried that a, a institution of higher learning with the name Dixie in it could harm uh, a resume or someone trying to get a job outside of Utah. But I, I have listening to both sides, and I truly have friends that are on both sides of this issue, I really do think that that community has every right to, de to, to decide if and, and how uh, they will adjust to these things. It, you know, the, it used to be the Dixie Rebels, and they used to have a Confederate flag, and they didn't, and I think in the 90s, they got rid of that Confederate flag from their campus. Uh, there have been changes over the years. I think it's always better when that comes from within and from within those communities. And I think that in the national climate we're in, many people are worried that Sometimes in the you same just spirit. Rip the Confederate you do. Flag and I just, off, I just so. would remind well, that like, the, well, look, St. George doesn't actually pay for the university. The state pays for the university. The state, the you know, Dixie is a part of the university systems. And who made the decision yeah. to um, change the name were the people that the state of Utah is authorized to make those decisions, which was their board of trustees and who supported that decision were the students. Now, what I respect is how painful that decision is for many of the community members at where this university is. But let's be clear on this being a state-run institution as part of higher education and that the rightful body made that decision. And 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 also I, I see I see the pain that the community is going through. I thought the imagery this week was as stark as you have seen in terms of if you wanted to visualize the argument in which you had young students saying, please change it. I mean, I think it is a generational problem, and, and one of it is one of just um, sentiment, and I don't mean that in a flippant way, but those who have grown up with the name and love the name, and it took the next generation to say, you're hindering my future. Um, and, the, and these were students that go to this, but I would remind St. George residents that this is a state university who's making a decision on behalf of students at the university, not, be, not making a decision on behalf of those who want to wear the merch yeah. as they live there. And in my I, mind, I, Dixie's always been the party school in Utah, so why not just get a new name? <laughs> a now new that name. they're grown-ups, you can get full degrees Have a golf there. club as their mascot. <laughs> it you know what? I, that, that decision would be <laughs> best made if it was organic, it was grassroots, it was from within the community, it would be stronger. But it, I'm telling you that it's bad timing in that you've got a, a time nationally where we're tearing down or some are tearing down you know, statues of our founding fathers were redefining no, even equity and diversity that, that are is so and, annoying, you know, that, oh. that our founding fathers were racist and not worth uh, remembering. And so I think it's happening in that climate and it can be confused as that. You can go too far when I see the it. Lincoln elementary schools that are getting, that are changing. changing. I'm like, come on guys. Yeah. Let's like, there's not completely so, gray area. Let, let, 
let that community figure out its own issues, I say. Okay. So. Well, I want to talk about police reform. We had a bunch of bills, and I know that a couple of them have kind of risen to the surface and will likely pass. Some of them won't. I feel like every time we're talking about police reform, there's something that happens in the news where you're reminded that it's important these things happen. Uh, just yesterday, we had an officer in Provo, Officer Osa Guerra, who's only been on the force for a couple of years, who was shot twice. Luckily, he's in stable condition. He'll recover. Although yeah. I'm assuming once you've been shot, it probably lives with you for the rest of your life. Um, the one bill that I know is going to be moving through, it sounds like is House Bill 237, and that's the one where it would kind of specify when you can't shoot and it seems to me like it would rule out suicide by cop. Is that your understanding, Mara? That's my understanding. This is an interesting bill from my perspective because if you asked me if I thought it was a good or a bad bill, which is how we tend to speak of these things, I would say, man, it, it depends on the seat you're, you're sitting from. So yeah. when you look at it, it's it's great move forward. It is, um, it, 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 as you said well, Heidi, it gives more specificity to when you can use lethal force. But so on one hand, I say yay, and it talks about suicide, which I think is so important in Utah where our numbers are so high. If I take my other chair that I happen to have been sitting in, which is the first iteration of this bill, this bill for all intents and purposes. So again, I want to say bill as it is takes a small step forward. What about wife as a cop who thinks about suicidal man holding a gun to your the, husband? Well, so bill as it is takes a step forward. Bill as it was originally drafted took five leaps forward. The Jen Daly Pros did a beautiful job on this bill. It was a meaty necessary use of fourth bill that goes directly to the conversations we're having in America about how we want to ask our police officers to operate and when they should use deadly force. And then w the critical languages of necessary versus reasonable, which is what the discussion is, got gutted. So this bill does take a small step forward. In the process, I will say this bill got gutted from being significant and from being deeply meaningful. While it is a forward-thinking bill, while it does add additional protections, I think for those who are still concerned about use of force and accountability for law enforcement, this did not go far enough. Greg, what do you think? So just to let the listeners uh, understand, I think, a broader pro uh, perspective, there's, a, there's over nine over 90 bills now that people have filed that want to be very prescriptive on how uh, law enforcement should uh, conduct themselves and how public safety should be protected. Uh, I, I was honestly, if you were asking me, I would have predicted that law enforcement would have approached this session with a please, let's not have 90 bills and let's let's say no to these and let's uh, let's pick one or two, three, four that we can work on or get together on. But I have been impressed that law enforcement, where Mara describes it maybe as gutting the bill or watering it down. Law enforcement has been willing to engage in, with any and all uh, bill sponsor uh, to try and get to the heart of the concern that they're they are addressing and see if they can find common ground. And I really I've been I've been shocked. I am surprised at the length uh, that they that law enforcement is going to reach out individually to these bill sponsors and and seek that common ground. Uh, there's a it's, so there's a lot of that work happening, and their bandwidth is thin because of the the number of these bills uh, that we're seeing this session. And again, that goes to the political climate nationally. But I think I think that the bill, the way I've heard this bill described, is that it is moving forward because the the bill sponsor 
has been willing to talk to the stakeholders like law enforcement and find common ground. So I would I would call that. So a I just want to be clear. I don't think law enforcement gutted this bill, Greg. So just to be clear, I do oh, think okay. law enforcement comes to the table. I think law enforcement. I'm not surprised that law enforcement at FOP the table. And FOP is supporting this bill. They yeah. are, yeah. and so is everyone. Everyone should support this bill. I I'm in a dual position of saying this is a good bill and it does things. It's just if you want to go back and pull the original iteration of the bill, it was it was. Excellent. I mean, she. It was the original bill was extraordinary. The bill that will be passed is is a is a pretty good bill. All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I want to yeah. talk to Greg about this one. Um, elections. SB two o five. Senator Dan McKay, who's been uh, one of our guests here on the podcast before, yes. he wants to gut count my vote. I really had a fun time with you when we were on stage <laughs> with all of those excellent beauty pageant contestants for uh, governor. It was fun because some people got on the old-fashioned way, and then some people got the yeah. signatures. You want that to die? Yeah. So it's I'm glad you and I'm glad you framed it the way you did, Heidi, because it doesn't gut the dual path or signature gathering. But what it says is that we will leave that process on the books as a a, a political party could choose. Uh, as, as a nomination process on how someone gets the nomination from their political party, that can be one of the, the, the choices of letting people So you'll gather let Democrats signatures. choose that, but Republicans don't want to <clears throat> sure. choose that? Well, which well is if definitionally, they do or don't, it's up to the political party. Which is definitionally so party, gutting count my vote, just for the record. No, so if you were following well, count my vote, it guts count my vote. Are you saying that, that the Democrats are not going to keep with the dual path tomorrow? I'm saying the the optional path was exactly the Bramble compromise, Greg. Well, this the, was exactly well, the discussion that the legislature crossed the, the their com- heart the and compromise, swore to. The compromise that was passed in 14, because I was the majority whip at the time, also included— And I was running continued... count my vote at the time, so let's just yes, be clear know, about but, our roles. So, <laughs> so if you remember, then you will not be able to refute what I'm about to say next, and that is that that compromise included— continued work to deal with the issue of plurality because there was not an agreement that 35% of a party's vote should ultimately uh, determine a nominee. That and we did, and you're we interpreting continued work as would pro- be a problem. Well, here we are seven years <laughs> later with no resolution to plurality. More so participants in the partners, system than ever. More people energized you know, about participating in elections. Higher election turnout than ever. Yeah, this count my vote the, thing. The That's debate, been bad. Mara, the debate yeah. in the Senate brought up an interesting fact, and that is that the uh, caucus convention cycle and it producing a nominee for a primary – uh, there's only one instance since we've done the dual path and the the, the uh, signature gathering where someone that did not qualify through the through the uh, convention uh, cycle yeah. wasn't 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 able to was able to get on the primary and that was a state legislative a house race this last cycle and you can't really argue that all that that you worked on was for this, this random Utah County house seat this, where this worked. This so red herring is particularly pleasing to no, me. Where the Republicans the, are concerned by the underheeled, not you no, know. I mean, this allows just, for it's, a broader it's not delivering as advertised. This this signature gathering did not deliver as advertised. Uh, there's there. I think the plurality in the primary where you where your winner can win with as low as thirty five percent of the vote of the of the party voters. I don't know that that's you know that's why Georgia had the runoff in January so they could have someone that they was have a totally different 50%. system than us, Greg. So, so I find I'm it- just saying that I don't think I think giving the option of a political party to choose a convention primary 
uh, nominating process is it shouldn't offend anyone. I think it should happen. I think any anybody listening who who listens to the discussion and the second that uh, when a legislator talks about defending an election and defending the rights of the election and the definition of who they're defending is the party and not the voter, that should be a huge red flag. Because when I see these protections coming up, I see them protecting parties. And I think it misses the very essence of elections, which elections are intended for the voter. And anything that doesn't give the voter the most choice, the biggest outcome, and the biggest chance to participate is wrong-minded. I think this is a protectionist you, you would for have a party. To- you would have to have incredible selective uh, memory or logic to discount the existence of political parties in our American uh, political history. Or no, elections. they're a part of the election the parties, for sure. The but, parties are integral to this. This is why they have But elections are for the voter. This is I'm, why they have conventions. I'm not suggesting that they're not integral for it. I'm just saying that when you look at protecting elections, you should first say, are we doing what's best for the voter, not what we're doing best for the party? And by I the didn't way, suggest not, that the parties weren't important. I don't think I'm not a lawmaker. helps Democrats. They can barely come up with most of the time in Utah I one good candidate. Count, count, Count my, vote, count my vote just helped them all just file into the Republican Party because they had they gave their own candidate no chance. So why are you down on it, Greg? It sounds like so, y'all are uh, just so happy. You said, you said anytime a, a anytime a lawmaker talks about it, I'm not a lawmaker. I'm a I'm a I'm just a I'm just providing color commentary out here. So Heidi, you're, you're <laughs> bringing up a more intriguing option and a more interesting option, which is ranked choice voting. So we I, we threw it out there and we allowed cities to to and counties to say, hey, do you want to give this a go? And if I memory serves, one one entity took us up on this, right? Yeah. Uh, Provo or somebody. I think so um, although they shouldn't because they had a hard time with mail-in ballots first. Maybe yeah. we should have like we another should, county like really ready it. to to do it. I don't but know. But ranked choice voting is certainly an interesting thing and. And, and something that we should spend more time looking at. Yeah, I don't. I haven't researched enough to really understand, but I do know that there was frustration. I loved having so many candidates to choose from in the gubernatorial race. It was nice seeing in the too. Salt Lake City mayoral race. I do think it was frustrating when we ended up with a winner who really did only have barely over a third of the party voting for them. I would like to see more support. So the question is, do you have a primary and then take a top couple that make it to the fall? Do you do ranked choice voting? I don't know. But there's... Would you be okay with that, Greg? Where we, let yeah, you know, rank? I used to, I used to just, well, I, I, you know, there's a lot of people that have that have a lot of lot to say about ranked choice voting, and there's some people that think there's some kind of flaw to it. I, I don't know. It sounds fine to me, uh, just on the surface. But I'll tell you what I'm, what I'm surprised uh, that I'm okay with now, and that is, uh, I had never wanted to see an additional election cycle after a primary. If you did not achieve, say, a 50 percent threshold, uh, you know, watching how and living through how our gubernatorial race happened uh, in, in Utah and then watching uh, uh, Georgia, uh, where the, nobody hit that minimum threshold in their primary. So they had a runoff uh, in January. I, I'm not as opposed to a runoff election of the top two in a primary like I, I was prior to uh, this last election year. I. I think that it's not as as bad as I I had imagined. I think I think it's better to have if you're going to have a nominee and you especially in Utah where if you're the Republican at least in this day and age today and this it'll it can change pendulum swing but if the Republican odds on is the odds on favorite or high favorite for a November general election and that that political party's primary really does decide the election I think I don't know that we're serving the public well to decide that a small 
35% or something like that is the ultimate uh, winner uh, at, for your state. So I wouldn't mind a, a runoff election or something that would strengthen that vote count for that nominee. I'm a little surprised, Greg, you're not saying that the statewide candidate that wins the most um, counties should win. Yeah. Okay. I'm you know what? You're so I'm throwing, observant. I'm throwing Mari, you a bone so there, Mr. Yeah, Hughes. Yeah. Because there's 29. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know why she says that? college in Utah. I listen, think that Greg Hughes listen, of the world would beautiful. have a better chance. He, yes, he would. Because guess what? Mara, so let me tell you why. Mara knows exactly what she's saying. 29 counties, I won 10. Okay. We won some serious acreage in my, in my failed gubernatorial primary race, but we won 10 counties and we won some serious uh, turf here in the state of Utah. I'm ready to take that. Mara, you're right. You're welcome. See, so Cisa, you yeah, won a you. third of the states, just like Spencer Cox like, won yeah, a third of the yeah. votes. You guys, you guys yeah. can be co-governors. See, look, ten, counties, call them up. ten counties. You can be a second I want to call those governor. ten counties Liberty Land. That's my new name for those ten counties. That's Liberty Land, USA. It's like Greater Idaho Sorry. they want to break off. That's a whole other story for another day. While we're talking about voting, uh, HB 388, I believe, uh, would let 16-year-olds vote for school boards. We all have children. Is this a good idea? I heard some who was tweeting that they shouldn't be able to vote because their kids were stupid. And I was like, that is really not like a great way to talk about your parenting because you've done some I So I already am a little bit like bummed that we're making school board elections more and more of popularity contests. Like I wasn't for them becoming partisan. And so I feel like adding 16 year olds just makes it more about like, dude, that's a great name. Or did you see there? I, I, I'm not in favor of this. Greg, no, have you seen the student body races, what they promised <laughs> to get elected student body council? I mean, you know, they're not, it's not really, a, it's not a deep dive into education delivery and policy. It's, it's kind of like uh, we'll get more study halls and, and better food at lunch. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, uh, it I'm is not true. for the, the yeah. 16 year olds uh, deciding the school board races per se. Now not the 16 year olds, the, I think adults have a hard time. Yeah, I do too. And I feel like probably the, 10, 16-year-olds that offered this are more mature than we are, so I, I want to give a nod to the 20% of 16-year-olds who are better off than the majority of there voters. Are, but I'm telling you, I, I ran for student government so at that age, and my campaign slogans were always like, vote ho, that's all you need to know. And I should let you know that my name was Heidi Oliver at the time, okay. and that was somehow that's, acceptable when we yeah. see, many, yeah. many that's years beautiful. ago. Yes. That's, that's marketing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was marketing. good marketing. I had a couple other campaigns that I don't think hit the mark as well. I would win one year, <laughs> lose the next. It was kind of every other. And so my political uh, realm, it was really 50-50 for me. But I really feel like when I went succinct with like those like quick little vote ho, that's all you need to know. That's where I yeah. would win. Yeah, that's you nice. would. And I'll tell you this. I, wanna, I, would, I would encourage our young people ages 18 to 21 to put, uh, to put all their political capital. And if you're 16 and you're looking for a cause to get involved in, I think that the state and even our country's definition of an adult, sometimes being 18 and sometimes being 21, is fundamentally unfair and actually indefensible. I don't think that it's, there's any way that you can define by way of if someone commits a crime or by way of a draft or certain uh, circumstances that someone uh, is defined legally as an adult at the age of 18. But there are other things like drinking alcohol or uh, concealed carry permit or helmet wearing a helmet on when riding a motorcycle or not the definition of, of an adult is at the age 21 look at you hate so states that, rights no i'm what i'm going to tell you is this 18 to 21 year olds need to get organized and they need to ask policymakers why they have different definitions for an adult 
and it ought to be one age. And I think they would be well within their right to expect uh, our governments to define adults by a certain age and not flip it around uh, depending on the topic. And so if, if young people want to really organize on an issue, I think that's the issue that I think that it's pretty unjust. But what happens is as soon as you're 21, you don't care anymore because all the earlier definitions don't apply. It so is you're tricky. I try to tell my daughter she's an emerging adult. She's not a real it's adult yet. <laughs> you're still blossoming. In process. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I always feel like I have like 36 other topics I want to get to, but we're running out of time. I want to save this for next time because I don't think we're done talking minimum wage here on the state level or also national level. But this legislative session, which is almost done, it's been a weird one for me mentally because I felt like in the middle of a pandemic, it might be, I don't know, maybe more focused there. I thought there'd be a lot of police bills and a lot of pandemic related. And uh, Mara was talking to me when she came in. You weren't here, Greg, so you didn't get to hear. This is all a surprise. But <laughs> women have been really hit hardest during the pandemic more than a lot of others when we look at the jobs and who's staying home and whatnot. But you said women have not and they can't very well. play. They can't play high school sports anymore. I know they women, that one women too. are having enough, a tough, enough, tough Greg. Yeah. yeah, no, I just was hoping to see a little more. I mean, ERA got stuck in the closet again. Um, we were looking at Greg's favorite tampon tax, which I just think is a no-brainer, ah. and it, it got stuck. Uh. Some, some areas where we saw some good bills, and a couple of bipartisan bills actually uh, were in child care. But, you know, we're among the worst in the, st- the U.S. in addressing women, female wages and child care. And I, don't, I think this should have been a major child care year. Most of our child service providers wouldn't be open right now without federal subsidies. The state has done very little to help them. There were five or six bills addressing this issue and maybe two of them made it to committee and were being considered and they're doing it well and they and again they were bipartisan but uh, we still on average don't address issues that fundamentally deal with families as it relates to women and and I think we're, we're seeing that happen and play out this year in a year where I think we should have been hyper focused on the stress points that COVID has put have been putting on um, families families who need child care and particularly women. And Greg, we shouldn't leave men out either because it, in my household, my husband is the yeah. stay-at-home parent. So really just got to think about the, the, the CEO of the family that's CEO home. CEO of the yes. family. It is well, true. Well, I will tell you that one of the impacts of where children are spending uh, their days uh, in the COVID era, it is an absolute tragedy that our children uh, don't have greater access to, to, the, to the, our public schools, that, the, that the, 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 there's been a strong political Push, particularly by the teachers union, to not let these kids get back into school. This is one of the least impacted demographics uh, that 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 COVID could uh, hurt or that you would have problems with. And I am going to argue that the isolation of children, the uh, the inability to report abuse that usually happens inside of schools that cannot happen when they don't have the ability to go to school as they did, the year-over-year proficiency and the uh, the progress that students were making and right now are not making because of the decisions made about COVID, uh, it's devastating. I think I, what's happening to our kids, history will remember that they truly are the ones that have been harmed, I think, the most from this COVID uh, episode that we're living through. And I don't agree with how it's been handled and how these schools have been closed and restrict, and the kids have been restricted from being able to learn and be at school. And so when you talk about daycare, it would be a weird irony to say, okay, let's make sure there's more 
daycare facilities where adults are at the daycares, but the adults at school that are educators, they're not going to teach these kids. I mean, that's the well, the Democrats, that's why I think the whole issue is so crazy. The Democrats can walk and chew gum so they can do both. And thank goodness as Biden is in and agrees with you and is trying to get the schools back open and trying to fix things uh, up. His Although biggest only 4% of his money in that $2 trillion plan, I think, goes to schools in yeah. this year and the rest of it's down the road. So I don't know. I think there is a, little, a whole lot of politics getting played with our kids' lives right now. And it's like, let's just yep. take care of the kids. Yep. Let's talk about that I next agree. week, too, because I think there's so much to talk about. I think we so. need a podcast every day of the week. But <laughs> the good news is, Greg Hughes, you will be Rona-free <laughs> and back with us next I week. Will. So I will be excited been, for that. I've been free for we. I've been I've been so healthy for so long. I'm just sitting in here. Just trying to keep the rules because I, I I whooped this thing a long time ago. So he's I'm whooped ready it. To go. He's lounging in his Lulu pants, mm-hmm. his Lululemons, and then all right. I am actually. I am in my Lululemons as we speak. It's true. So all right, all everybody. Right. Thanks for being a part of the party. And ooh, there's the theme music. When I'm in charge of all this, it's very difficult. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Same time, same place.